may be seated. Well, we begin a new sermon series uh, this morning. Uh, It's entitled, Guard the Gospel. Uh, We will spend these next five weeks together uh, in the book, in in the letter of 2 Timothy. Uh, So if you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, I would encourage you to do so. And if you are using the Bible under the chair in front of you, you will find that on page 995. So 2 Timothy, in our text, should be no surprise, it will be the start of 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 18. And as I have been getting to know this letter of Paul's over the last uh, couple of weeks, simultaneously I have been reading uh, a book at night just for a leisure uh, entitled Being Mortal, uh, Medicine and What Matters in the End. Uh, It's by Atul Gawande. Uh, He is a surgeon in Boston. Uh, Dr. Gawande's family is originally from India. He has a a Hindu background, but in the book there's really no hint of uh, religious practice for him uh, at this time at least. And so he he writes not about life after death, uh, but about life before death and what matters most in the end. Uh, How do we die well? Or rather, probably the way he would put it is, how do we live well when the end is in sight, uh, since death does come to us all? And one of the things that Dr. Gawande uh, reflects on is the relationship among loved ones. Uh, The personal, in particular, the the personal meaningful goodbyes. and, and he, he, he takes special interest in the beauty and the joy of deep, meaningful, final conversations. And not just final conversations in, in the last hours, though it may be the last hours, but final days, final weeks, final months. Uh, the beauty and the joy in the midst of a very real pain and sorrow. I mean, he's a surgeon. He sees the difficulty all the time around him but also seeing the beauty and the joy of very personal last words. And when you think about last words, uh, when someone knows that death is imminent, when a family knows that about a loved one, those last words are so important. And again, I'm not just talking about the the, the few final sentences spoken, but those conversations had over those uh, last days. It's often a time where values are expressed. Sometimes vision is cast, uh, but always coming from a very deep place in the heart, uh, the heart of the one who is dying, the heart of those uh, who love that person, the loved ones. And so last words are really a gift. Uh, That's one of the things that he emphasizes in the book. Well, in the book that we are embarking on, in 2 Timothy, We have Paul's last words. Uh, This is the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. And it's got some bad news in it, uh, including the weight of his imminent death. Uh, Paul is in prison uh, in Rome. Uh, He is on death row for his faith, for uh, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. And he knows that the end has come. And his last words are very important. As we will see, 
There's so much value in them and so many values expressed. There is vision cast to us as the church uh, coming from the very heart of a man who loves Jesus and Jesus' church. These last words are a gift to us because what he stresses is really what matters most in the end. And so over these next five weeks, we're going to look at five words. Five words, or rather five charges that Paul gives to Timothy and, uh, and through Timothy to the church, to us. Uh, we'll begin today by looking at the charge to guard the gospel. Uh, Then next week, the charge to suffer for the gospel. And then to develop character through the gospel. Uh, To continue in the gospel, just as we have begun. And finally, the charge to proclaim the gospel. And so today, what what we're considering is really the, the overarching charge of the entire letter. Everything else answers this charge that we're looking at today. The charge to guard the gospel. Uh, 2 Timothy 1, uh, verses 1 to 18. And one of the things that I want to do each week uh, near the beginning of of the sermon, at least this is the plan right now, is is to point us to a key verse uh, to help focus our attention in the passage that we'll be in. And today it's verse 14. Paul says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our God and King. Uh, We thank you that you are the living word. And we thank you for the word that we are now about to open, uh, these last words of the Apostle Paul. And we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to see and to understand and to comprehend, but most of all, that we would be changed, a changed in the light of this good news. So, Lord, would you shape us by these living words, by the power of your Spirit. And we ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I invite you to hear the word of God now. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, beginning with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, is I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am persuaded, I am sure, dwells in you as well. And for this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God 
who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. Oh, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. The word of the Lord. Well, as we go through this passage this morning, we're going to look at it in, in two parts. Uh, we're going to look at the context and the command. Uh, the context. What do we know about the situation here? Uh, about Timothy, about Paul... Uh, what is the backdrop, not only for this passage, but really for the letter as a whole? And so then we'll shift from the context and look uh, closely at the command, uh, the charge to guard the gospel. Uh, what is the gospel? How does Paul uh, summarize the gospel here? And then why? Why should we guard the gospel? So context and command. So starting with context. Uh, verses 1 to 7 and 15 to 18. And you'll, you'll note those are the bookends of this passage. And I'm also going to touch on the end of uh, chapter 4 as well. So what do we learn about Timothy? Well, one of the first things that we learn is that he's from a godly family. In fact, he is part of a, a legacy of faith. Uh, truth that has been passed down from generation to generation, to generation. Uh, first, his, his grandmother Lois, then to his mother Eunice, and now to Timothy. And think about that for a moment. That's something worth celebrating. In fact, if you think about the literal backdrop behind me, behind this pulpit this morning, we're celebrating a legacy of faith. This, I mean, VBS is fun. My kids love it. Fun and games for sure. But it is so much bigger it is so much more because it is passing down the truth from generation to generation to generation. And so we learn that Timothy, Timothy is from a legacy of faith, a godly home. Now, we also see that he, he apparently has gifts of teaching and preaching. Uh, but it, it appears he's not been exercising those gifts uh, fully, and thus Paul exhorts him to to fan into flame or to kindle those gifts. Uh, Timothy is known from prior letters uh, to be young. Uh, most commentators uh, 
agree that at this point he is in his uh, mid, possibly late 30s. Uh, it's noted that he is prone to illness and also timid. Uh, one, uh, one who, in the words of John Stott, uh, speaking of Timothy, says that he evidently shrank from difficult tasks. And so possibly more passive than proactive. Well, that's Timothy. What about Paul? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. The very first statement in the letter. A strong understanding that his apostleship comes from God. Something that fills him with great conviction and boldness. And then at the end of our passage, at the end of chapter 1, we see that he's been deserted. Abandoned by former colleagues and friends throughout Asia. They have all turned away from me. We discover that he's in Rome. He's in prison. He's literally in chains. Now, some of you familiar with Paul's life, you know that he's been in prison before. But this is unlike the previous house arrest uh, at the end of Acts, uh, where he did have some freedom. People came and went. He proclaimed the gospel. William Hendrickson notes that this time he's incarcerated in a dismal underground dungeon with a hole in the ceiling for light and air. And then at the end of the letter, uh, we see again that he is abandoned. He, he feels the pain of that abandonment. He's, he's feeling alone. Finally, uh, verses 6 to 9 of chapter 4, we see that he expects to be executed soon. He knows that he is on death row, and he wants Timothy, his beloved son in the faith, to come as soon as he can. I mean, it, it's crystal clear that Paul and Timothy have a very close, a very deep, a very personal relationship. Uh, a, a relationship of mutual affection. Uh, the older loving the younger, the younger loving the older. They've known ministry and life together. Now they're separated. And if Paul thinks of the, the tears when they last departed, I'm sure he's imagined the tears that will flow when Timothy first opens this letter. And that close relationship, just so clear even in the, the opening address, verse 2, he addresses Timothy as, My dear son, my beloved child. So a painful situation. But in the midst of all of Paul's personal pain and suffering, remains his passion for God's glory to be known. And thus for the gospel to go forth. Paul remains passionate then about the gospel being guarded. And exhorts Timothy to guard it whatever the cost. And thus the backdrop of this situation of this letter leads to Paul's charge to Timothy and to us. And so let's move from the context to the command. The command. The charge to guard the gospel, the, the heart of this passage, verses 7 through 14. I'm going to reread those for us, and I encourage you to, to follow along and pay attention to how Paul summarizes the gospel. Verse 7. 
For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. He who abolished death And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. Which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day. What has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words. That you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And so the heart heart of the matter is this, uh, in the words of Stott and Keller. Aware that he will soon die, Paul is making provisions for the gospel message to be kept pure. He seeks to communicate to Timothy that he must not allow the message of the gospel to be distorted or diluted. He must not let timidity, shame, or suffering affect the way that he communicates the gospel. Instead, he must diligently guard and propagate the only message capable of giving life. And the basic gospel message that we see spoken clearly here is that completely apart from anything in and of ourselves, apart from our own effort, God in Christ has rescued us from sin and death and has given us true life and real renewal. Now, you may have noticed Paul uses two metaphors here uh, for the gospel. Uh, Sound words, uh, verse 13. And good deposit, verse 14. Uh, Sound words, literally healthy words, healthy words or healthy teaching. Uh, The true gospel nourishes the soul. A distorted gospel, false teaching, sickens the soul. Uh, It it makes me think of that that best-selling book. Maybe you've got a copy of it, Uh, Eat This, Not That. Yeah, uh, I mean, great book. Sometimes it ruins what you're really craving, but eat this, not that. Because it, it really, it's pointing out the difference between healthy food and junk food. You know, junk food may be attractive, but it can't sustain healthy life. But healthy food, it nourishes, it heals, it sustains. And Paul is saying, eat this, not that. And then there's the metaphor of the good deposit, emphasizing that the gospel is a treasure, that it is true riches that multiply for eternity. It's like the difference between real gold and fool's gold, or between real diamonds and cubic zirconia, often advertised as genuine faux diamonds. Go figure. I've got some on sale if you want them. 
But you know, but really that's not what you want, is it? No, you want the real thing, not a counterfeit. The good deposit of the gospel is true wealth and eternal riches for all who would embrace it. For all who would embrace it. Because it's what matters most in the end. Okay, let's hone in on verses 9 and 10 for just a moment. Uh, This is is really where Paul summarizes the gospel. I I found a a very helpful, very quick five-point summary uh, of these two verses of Paul's. So five quick points of the gospel. First, the Christian faith is about rescue. First and foremost, the Christian faith is about rescue. God has saved us. Verse 9, we're completely helpless to save ourselves from our predicament. We're dead before God, unable to change that situation. God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. He has rescued us. And second, what are we rescued from? We're rescued from sin and death. Verse 10, Jesus Christ abolished death. Why death? Well, death is the wage paid to the employees of sin. And because we've sinned, we are in bondage to it. Unable to live as God intended, apart from his intervention. And then, at death, apart from his intervention, the only thing that we're left with is fear of condemning judgment. Well, third, this rescue is accomplished how? It's accomplished through the historical work of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Verse 10. This grace has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So first, the Christian faith is about rescue. Second, we're rescued from sin and death. Third, the rescue is accomplished through the historical work of Jesus Christ. Fourth, not only are we rescued from something, but we are rescued to something. We're also rescued to life, to true life, and to holiness. Uh, Verses 9 and 10. God has called us to a holy calling, to a holy life, and has brought life and immortality to light. You see, the gospel is far more than deliverance from the negative consequences of sin, judgment, and death. It is that, but it also brings positive blessing. We're given eternal life, which includes a renewed heart, a restored relationship with God. And we're also renewed in holiness to pursue holiness. Life change is inherent in salvation because to turn from sin is to grow in holiness. And so we're rescued not only from something, but to something, life and holiness. And fifth, Fifth, this rescue is completely of grace. Completely of grace. Verse 9, not because of our works, not because of anything we could do, but because of his own purpose and grace. Salvation is completely God's doing. We bring nothing to salvation but our sin. That's it. 
Salvation, God is its initiator, its accomplisher, its completer. It is by grace from beginning to end. We contribute nothing, can't earn it, don't add to it. That's the message of, a go- of the gospel in these two verses. The gospel, plain and simple and very much profound. And the charge is to guard it. To guard it no matter what. Now, over the next four weeks, we're going to look at the how-to. How do we guard the gospel? Because that's really what the rest of the letter spells out. These other four charges under this overar- underneath this overarching charge of guarding it. The, the rest of the letter spells out the how-to of guarding the gospel. But for now, why? Why should we guard it? Why guard the gospel? Well, we guard the gospel because it is the truth about God. It is the very truth about God. Who he is, his character. Uh, Keller states, Whenever a distorted gospel is proclaimed, lies are being told about God. And when lies are told about God, it can't help but change the way we live. And Eugene Peterson puts it like this. Paul is not tolerant when people that he loves are being told lies about God. Because he knows that such lies will reduce their lives, impair the vitality of their spirits, imprison them in old guilts, and cripple them with anxieties and fears. That is Paul's position. A lie about God becomes a lie about life, and he will not have it. Nothing counts more in the way that we live than what we believe about God. And so a lie about God distorts reality, perverts life, and damages all the processes of living. Brothers and sisters, we need healthy words and real riches. Junk food will ruin your health. Fool's gold will bankrupt your soul. You want the real thing, not a counterfeit. The good deposit, the gospel, true riches, eternal wealth for all who embrace it. it. That's what matters most in the end. And so we guard the gospel, no matter what the cost. Now, as I mentioned, we're going to look at the how-to over the next uh, four weeks. Uh, The rest of the letter spelling out uh, in each of those charges. How do we guard the gospel? But let me end with this, the, the foundation of our guarding the gospel. The foundation of our guarding the gospel is that first and foremost, the gospel guards us. First and foremost, the gospel guards us. When Heather and I were living in Vancouver, Canada, uh, there was a a national discussion uh, going on at the time. Uh, You could see it on the evening news, you could read it in the paper, you could find it, internet uh, articles and, and blogs. And the national discussion was about the Canadian border guards. Because at the time, and I don't know if this is still the case, but at least at the time, 
the Canadian border guards were unarmed. And if they ever felt that their life was threatened, they were free to withdraw from their post. And so this was an intense uh, national discussion. I mean, because these are border guards. These are people charged with guarding their country, charged with guarding our lives, and yet they are unarmed. And if their life is threatened, they're free to withdraw from their post, free to run. But it's interesting because ever since that time, there's a chorus of an old hymn that has just stood out to me. Uh, in, in fact, this hymn, which we're going to sing in a moment, and which actually Robin had already picked out as our closing hymn before she knew my closing illustration. I mean, you've got to love when you see that this is really about Jesus and his work, the spirit at work. The hymn is entitled, The Love of Christ is Rich and Free. And this is the chorus. Love cannot from its post withdraw. Love cannot from its post withdraw, nor death, nor hell, nor sin, nor law can turn the Savior's heart away. He'll love his own to endless day. Love cannot from its post withdraw. You see, Jesus was armed. He was armed with perfect love, and he did not withdraw from his post. He stood his ground, taking our sin and death on himself that we might receive forgiveness and his life. Jesus guarded us through the cross by which he abolished death and brought life. And Jesus guards us today by his Spirit who dwells within us, the power of God. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The foundation of our guarding the gospel is that first and foremost, the gospel guards us. And through him, we guard it. Amen? Amen. Amen.